Radio. The Awesome Mystery of the Eucharist. A talk by Father Anthony Mary at the Immaculata Mission School 2016, held at the Lay Scout Center in Hobart, Tasmania. But truthfully, to speak about the Eucharist, I am simply unable. No human being. There's a lot being written about the Eucharist, many books, a lot being said about it. But no human being is able to really speak about the mystery of the Eucharist. The appropriate attitude, uh, disposition, facing this mystery is a total silence. Because it's like, you see, the drop of water trying to comprehend the great ocean. We said many times these few days that God is love. And he is love, but we don't even know what it means. We barely touch. Because we're not capable to comprehend. All the drop is able to do is to plunge itself into the ocean, to be immersed in this ocean, enveloped in this divine love. And the mystery of the Eucharist is what is ultimate in God's manifestation of his love. There is nothing greater. There can be nothing greater. God has gone to the end. As St. John said, he loves us to the end. It's not only to the end of time, but to the end of divine possibility. God cannot go any far in than the mystery of the Eucharist. So I say to you, we are unable to speak about it. We are simply able to approach this mystery and enter into the most profound silence, facing God, who manifests his love in this way that nobody could ever imagine would happen. You know, Father was speaking in Mass this morning about the meaning of Bethlehem. And Mary, our mother, placed him in a manger. Manger in French is manger. Manger. Manger is to eat. From the very beginning of his life, he came indicating to us that he comes to us as our food to be consumed by us. So great is his love. And Mary is a good mother because she feeds us with the best possible food. You know, speaking about being silent, St. Thomas Aquinas, the great St. Thomas Aquinas, the greatest theologian in the history of the church, that hopefully in every seminary they study him. He wrote so much 
about the Eucharist, about many things you can see in the Summa. And when God showed him a small bit, briefly, of the mysteries he was writing about, St. Thomas, after that, put down his, what he was using, a quill, whatever he was writing with, he put it down. He said, I cannot write anymore. I can only face this mystery. I can only remain in silence before this God who is infinitely awesome, infinitely beautiful, infinitely love. Because every time we speak, we are somehow putting ourselves before this infinite mystery of love who is God. So, Jesus tried to prepare his disciples for this mystery in the feeding of the 5,000. And we heard in the gospel this morning, 5,000 men. And it says that we're not counting the women and children. So, wherever there is a religious gathering, there are always more women than men. So there was 5,000 men, not counting the women and the children. So there could have been 20,000, 25,000 people following Jesus. They had seen the miracles he worked. They'd seen the, the paralyzed who walked. They'd seen the lepers, the lepers who were healed. Leprosy is a terrible disease. When I was in Africa, in Angola, I went to visit the leprosy colony. These people, exteriorly, whose bodies are falling apart, who inside are beautiful, extraordinarily beautiful. The most beautiful people I've ever met are these lepers. Because they have nothing outside, it's all inside. And hopefully this is what the Eucharist can do for us to make us interior people where we forget about our outside but we want to love and respond to the mystery of God's love for us. He wanted to prepare his disciples by the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 and the 20,000 or 25,000, whatever. And these are his followers, the people who believed in him and are following him. And Jesus is preparing them for this revelation. And I should read from the gospel. After they'd, the 5,000 had eaten enough and Jesus had drawn them to himself, by his miracles of love, they are there ready before him. And then Jesus says this to them, I am the living bread that has come down from heaven. If anyone wants to eat this bread, 
he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh for the life of the world. The Jews on that account argued with one another, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus therefore said to them, Amen, amen, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you shall not have life in you. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has life everlasting, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father has sent me, and as I live because of the Father, so he who eats me, he also shall live because of me. This is the bread that has come down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and died. He who eats this bread shall live forever. When Jesus had fed the 5,000, they want to proclaim him king, to make him king by force, to make Jesus king. But Jesus runs away to be alone with his father because Jesus is not interested in an earthly kingdom. He did not come to be an earthly king. To be an earthly king means that you exercise a power from outside. Jesus is a king, but he is a king where? He is a king when he's hanging upon the cross, because there he is manifesting his love in a way that our senses can somehow grasp something which is too big to grasp. His infinite love, there he hangs upon the cross. He's, he had nowhere to rest his head. In this life, the only place he rests his head is in the bosom of the Father and on the wood of the cross because there he shows us his love. Jesus is a king indeed, but he's a king of our interior life, a king from within a king of love abiding within us. So Jesus runs away. He doesn't want this earthly kingdom. And you can see somehow the sadness in the heart of our Lord. He has to run away. They understand nothing. And then when he comes to give them the revelation, the ultimate revelation of fact, why ultimately he became incarnate. To give himself as his flesh, his blood. Then his followers, his disciples, they turn away and leave him. What's the pain in the heart of Jesus at that moment? When you love excessively and they don't even believe in your love, they walk away 
and they leave Jesus standing who came down from heaven for this. They leave him standing alone with his 12 disciples. And Jesus says to them, you too. And he's saying to you and I, you too, are you going to leave me? Because today many Catholics are leaving him. There are priests leaving him and religious leaving him and ordinary Catholics leaving him. Even though they mightn't do it physically, they are exercising a ministry where the Eucharist, the sacrifice of Holy Mass, is not the center of their lives. It's not the reason why they are there. They live for social work, to be social workers. I'm not a social worker. There are people who can do social work far better than I can. There are people who can preach far better than I can. There are people who can organize people, other people far better than I can. I am a priest for one reason. It's for what takes place upon the altar. And from that flows everything else. If I don't have this, I am nothing. I am not a priest. I am a body without a soul. A body without a heart. So Peter, and again, it's Peter, when Jesus says, will you leave me? Are you too going to leave me? And Peter says, Lord, where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. Peter did not understand. He didn't understand. But he knew he was standing before the one who is truth. He knew that the one that is speaking to him is truth. He didn't have to understand. But he knew that he had to believe this person. And it's like that for us with the Eucharist. We cannot understand. And it's what Jesus asked of us in the Gospel, in chapter 6 of St. John. He never said to us, he never said to us, I ask you to understand. Because you know we cannot understand but he said to us, what I ask of you is that you believe. At the Last Supper, Jesus with his disciples was celebrating the Passover. The Passover, which had been celebrated for a few thousand years by the chosen people of God, the Jewish people. And you know about the Passover, the plagues, ten plagues of Egypt, so the people could be free. And Pharaoh hardened his heart 
each time. And finally, there was the, the Passover. The people were told to eat of the lamb, the unleavened bread. I won't go into that. You know it from your Bible. You can read it in the book of Exodus. Do read it. And this is what Jesus was celebrating with his disciples at the Last Supper. The Lamb offered in the Old Testament. And when Jesus was being led to the slaughter, the following day, at that very same time, there were hundreds and hundreds of lambs being taken to be slaughtered at the synagogue. The bleating of the lambs could be heard as they were taken to be slaughtered. As the one lamb, the lamb of God, was being led to the cross. The new lamb, the lamb of God, who would replace all the sacrifices of the Old Testament. And at the Last Supper, Jesus took bread and he said the words, This is my body. This is my blood, the chalice of my blood. What Jesus says is true. By his infinite power as creator God creates by his word everything that has come into existence is through him the eternal word and here at the last supper the eternal word incarnate takes bread and says these words this is my body and the mystery of transubstantiation happens. The substance of the bread changes into the substance of his body. While keeping the exterior signs, the accidents, because he is creator as God, he is creator. He can do all things and nothing is impossible to God. And after he says these words, it is truly his body. It is truly his blood given to the disciples to be their food. And the next day, Jesus goes to his crucifixion and after that, his resurrection. After that, his ascension. Jesus resurrects from the dead, manifesting his victory on the cross. Jesus conquers on the cross. He conquers sin, evil, hatred, violence, and death itself. He conquers on the cross. The victory is not in the resurrection. The victory is on the cross. 
The resurrection manifests this victory to us. When we come to Mass, what are we living? We were not there 2,000 years ago when Jesus died in love for me. But every single day, every time I go to Mass, I am present at this offering of his life for me, his death and his resurrection. I can come every day. This, I am drawn into this mystery where Jesus died for me. At Mass, you see, when I say Mass, when I say the words, this is my body. When I as a priest say these words, it is not my body. It is not my body. It is the body of Jesus. Why? Because at the Last Supper, Jesus instituted another sacrament. What was it? Priesthood, holy orders. Jesus ordained the first bishops and priests. And these bishops ordained more bishops and priests. And they ordained more bishops and priests all the way in an unbroken link down to this poor pilgrim priest here. Down to the priests here, the bishops and priests here. And there's an unbroken chain, if you like, an unbroken bond back to the Last Supper in the Catholic Church. In the Catholic Church. And I am ordained so that Jesus can do again in me at Mass the same words. This is my body. Because I'm ordained, it is not I, then, who is saying this. Because Jesus had borrowed, if you like, borrowed my person, borrowed my mouth, my words, my thoughts, my whole being, Jesus has borrowed. And at Holy Mass, Christ is present in the priest. It is Christ acting. And Christ acts, he, the priest takes the initiative, but then Christ takes over. And it is he himself saying these words, this is my body. The priest, if you like, disappears. If you could see the reality, you would see Christ. And please, my brother, friends, priests, don't say Mass fast. Take your time in saying Mass. You are in the presence of God. God is using you. Every word has a weight before God. Every word is offered to the Father in a profound weight. Of love, it's not, it's not mine. I cannot do with it as I like. It is Christ. I am total instrument at Holy Mass. In Holy Communion, Jesus resurrected. We are waiting for the moment, this ultimate moment, where our Lord so longs so longs to come into our heart. 
And I tried to say the other day something of the thirst of Christ. Because this is the way he expresses his love. by a, a, He died of thirst. Christ's death was a death of thirst. Not for water, but for our love, for you and I. And Jesus is waiting, longing for the moment to give himself to us in Holy Communion. To be united with us. To dwell in us. So that we can dwell in him. And how do you prepare for the moment you come forward? When you begin Mass, when we begin Mass, when we say the bless ourselves, this blessing of ourselves determines how the rest will follow. I bless myself and there's a, in France there was, I don't remember the place, but Our Lady came to teach children how to bless themselves. When you bless yourself, what is that? <laughs> People come into church to genuflect and they go like this. <laughs> and then into the seat. It's a very strange gesture. <laughs> no. Everything has weight. Everything has importance. Everything is an act of response, of love to him. When we begin Mass, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Live it. It's the mystery of our redemption. It's the mystery of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is a profound prayer. And if we take our time before we come to Mass, we should be silent if possible. If we can, on the way to Mass, maybe say the Rosary, ask our Mother to prepare our hearts to be ready for Jesus. And when we come forward to receive Holy Communion, St. Therese, the little flower, but she said, I am unable to prepare myself. I am unable to give him thanks. We are not able. Then I ask our Mother Mary to be my preparation, to be my thanks. So in our thanksgiving, in our profound silence after the Eucharist, we can ask simply our mother to be our thanksgiving to Jesus. When we live the mystery of the Eucharist, Christ feeds us with his thirst. Christ feeds us with his poverty. Christ feeds us with his love for his Father, for each other, Christ feeds us with the desire for heaven. And it's a, a sacrament which is difficult in today's world 
because the Eucharist is the sacrament of the poor in a world where man is so conscious of his possessions, of his importance, of all that he is. The Eucharist is the sacrament of the poor. And to make us poorer, each time we receive the Eucharist should make us poorer and poorer and poorer. So by the time we come to our death, there's nothing left. We're ready to go straight to heaven because we become totally poor by the mystery of the Eucharist. Jesus wants to transform us by his presence. It's the presence dwelling within us. He wants to transform us into him so that more and more we can become him, become Christ. And it implies when we receive the Eucharist, when we live the Eucharist, it implies that we become in our turn lambs offered for our brothers and sisters. You see what the mystery of the Eucharist implies? It's not something passive. It's something that we become one with him, then to be offered as lambs, offered for our brothers and sisters, offered for the whole world. So when you are living the Holy Eucharist, the Holy Sacrifice of the Eucharist, are we really present? Are we offering our lives? Do we put our lives on the pattern? When the priest pours in a little drop of water into the wine, the drop of water symbolizes our life. Into the wine who is symbolizing Christ, we are poured, our life is poured into his. And then the wine is changed into his. The bread and the wine are changed into his body and blood. And we are offered up with him to the Father. That in we, in our turn, become, if you like, victims of love. You see what the Eucharist implies? That we become victims of love, offered up in union with him. And we can offer everything. We offer our day, our life, and we can offer also in Holy Mass, when the priest raises up the sacred species, we can offer up our death. Did you ever think of that? Do you offer your death at every Mass? Your life, the last moment of your life, that is offered up already many, many times every day in union with the death of Jesus, which is the death of love, conquering love, which conquers in his love. When the Second Vatican Council asked us to become more active in the Mass, what did it mean? It didn't mean that everybody had to get a job to do. That's not what it meant. It meant that everybody should be living this mystery, offering their lives in union with Jesus. Our sufferings, our joys, our sufferings. That's what I say to 
when I go to visit the sick people, the people in sometimes in the hospital, the rest homes, and they cannot any longer any longer go to mass, I say to them, "You are. They are old, maybe bedridden. There are people in hospital for sometimes for years, and their bed." of suffering and I say to them you are especially close to Jesus you cannot go to mass you're not able to go anymore but you can become Eucharist offering yourself from your bed your sick bed offering yourself with the victim of love with Jesus and your offering has Extraordinary value, united with Christ for our brothers and sisters. There's a, Col a Columban priest, an Irish priest, he may be dead now, who spent uh, many years in prison in communist China. He's a missionary. And in prison, he got twice a day, he got a little bit of rice and water. That was, his, that was his food over many years. And this priest, because he's a priest, he began to hunger for the Eucharist. He began to long to beg God that he could live the mystery of the Eucharist. He cared nothing about his physical hunger. He prayed and prayed and prayed to God that he could live the Eucharist, that he could celebrate Holy Mass. And God answered his prayers. He was getting very ill because of his extreme fasting. And the prison doctor said that he could get a little fruit. And he asked for grapes. And then there came a famine to the land. And in this country, China, you don't give rice to the pigs. The, he was a pig for them. So they were given bread. So he had what he needed to make the little host and the wine or the grapes to crush to make what he needed to celebrate Mass. And he celebrated Mass on the palms of his hands. In the hollow of his hand, he put a little bit of the wine and water. And there he celebrated Mass. This was the cathedral of the offering of this Mass. This man who was suffering in prison, celebrating Mass on the palms of his hands. And this priest knew such happiness. That's all he wanted, is to be able to celebrate Mass, to receive our Lord within him. God, when he sees a soul who is truly hungering and thirsting for him, he will work miracles to 
to give himself because he longs to give himself. And I said again, you know, why we are Catholics? We are Catholics for this mystery. This is the reason of the church, the reason of the Pope, the hierarchy, the Catholic priesthood is for the Eucharist. That's why. If there was no Eucharist, you don't need a Pope, you don't need the bishops, you don't need the priests. We could find very good social workers that could do it a lot better than we do. I always think that there are two saints which God has given to us at this time, a very recently, to help the 20th century where there is such loss of faith in the mystery of the Eucharist. And these two saints, for me, I've often thought of this, is Saint Padre Pio and Saint Charbel. Padre Pio given to the 20th century is the first stigmatized priest in the history of the church. This man, this great man, for 50 long years, he bore the wounds of Christ in his body, offering mass every day as a living crucifix. When somebody said to Padre Pio, how are you able to stand at the altar when your feet, your feet are pierced? Padre Pio said, when, I, when I'm at the altar, I'm not standing. I'm hanging on the cross. And Padre Pio is a man, not Christ. And this is how all priests should be. How all faithful people should live the mystery of the Mass. He is a gift to us at this time of unbelief. And the other one is Saint Charbel. You'll have many other ones, but this from me is given to us by Christ, Saint Charbel. Saint Charbel was a Maronite monk who asked for permission of his superiors to be a hermit. He's begging his superior and eventually his superior gave him permission. He spent the last 25 years of his life as a hermit. And after he died, there was the most extraordinary phenomena thing happening around his tomb. They would see his tomb being filled with light. They would open it and go in. And they opened his coffin and his coffin would be filled up with liquid oil, much more than the weight of his body, the capacity of his body, they would empty it. And year after year, they would empty it. And Saint Charbel's body never decomposed. 
until he was beatified 150 something years later. It remained preserved, fresh, like the day he died. And uh, Saint Charbel is still working the most extraordinary miracles. He's really an extraordinary saint. And I'll just tell you something interesting before I make my point. Sorry for being long-winded. When Saint Charbel was canonized, you know when they're canonized? In Rome, they have an image of the saint. A photograph, if possible. Saint Charbel was nothing. Uh, because he'd been a hermit for so long and nobody had really seen him. The only one who had ever seen him for 25 years was his superior. So at his tomb, at his graveside, one day, a couple decided to take a photograph. One took a photograph of the other beside his grave. When the photograph was developed, there was Charbel in the photograph. Because the old monks were still alive, they said, ah, that knew him many years before that. That's Charbel, Charbel. And this is the image they used in Rome for his canonization. <laughs> and that you see, he's, he's looking kind of downcast, he not downcast, he's looking down because he was a man of extraordinary humility. But they asked his superior why all those extraordinary things are happening to this man after his death. There's miracles and miracles and miracles and miracles. If you want a miracle, pray to Charbel. And his superior said, I know the reason why. Because he lived for 25 years for one thing, the holy sacrifice of the Mass. The first half of the day he spent in preparation. The second half he spent in thanksgiving. For me, he's given to us as a light for us. How to live the Mass, to prepare, to give thanksgiving, not in a moment, but a whole day long. Mother Teresa said, in our house you see written the words, these words, Priest of God, celebrate Holy Mass as if it was your first Mass, your last Mass, and the only Mass of your life. And that's an invitation to the faithful people to live Holy Mass as if it was your first Mass, your last Mass, and the only Mass of your life. How would you prepare? How would you give thanks? You know, at the time of St. Teresa, the little flower and the other ones, you couldn't receive the Eucharist every day. You could receive with permission on feast days. Today you can receive communion every day. But there is a danger that quantity can take over from quality. The quality of the way we live receive the living bread who is Christ himself 
come down from heaven, sent by the Father to dwell within us. The only way to live the Eucharist, the only way, is to live it as if it is the first, last and only time of your life. Any other way we live it is not worthy of the gift. And when you're trying to explain the Eucharist to non-believers, once when I lived in London, I had a lot of Muslim friends. And one day in my house, there were about 15 of them. And I was living a very devout uh, Catholic life at the time. And they said to me, do Catholics, we heard the Catholics believe in the little host that is truly God. They just threw this question at me. And I was there in front of all of them. And I have to confess that I was going to say, I didn't know, my faith wasn't so strong, but I was living a good faith, but it wasn't not as strong as now. And I, was, I said to myself, if I say we really believe in the true presence that is truly our Lord, they will think I'm an idiot. So I was going to say to them, it's symbolic. And I was going to say the words, I lost my capacity to speak. I became dumb. I couldn't speak. It's not, I'm not saying that I didn't want to not say it, but I was unable. God took away my capacity to speak. So I took some deep breaths and then again, I shook it off a little bit, took some time and was coming back to the subject that it's symbolic and I was up to that point, I was speaking very well until I came to this word and my capacity to speak was taken away. I become like Zachariah in the temple. The angel took away his voice. He couldn't speak until John the Baptist was born. It was a very strange experience. I just... I couldn't say anything. I simply had no longer the capacity to speak. And then I decided maybe I should say the truth. And then I began again a few phrases and I began to say to them that yes indeed that's truly our Lord present. We believe that with our whole being. He's truly present, completely, body, blood, soul and divinity. And when I began to say that, my speech was normal. So I thank God for his mercy to me because I was about to deny him and I would know what it felt like Peter. I was going to be like Peter to deny our Lord. 
Our Lord had mercy for me. He didn't allow me because it would break my heart after. And I leave you because I said to you in the beginning, I warned you, that I'm unable to speak about the Eucharist. So you'll be merciful. You'll be silent and live the mystery. And I, I think... Our Mother Mary, it doesn't tell you in the Bible that she doesn't show her receiving the Eucharist. But I think, and John Paul II said in his encyclical on the Eucharist, it doesn't show you, Mary, he said, there, but surely she was present when the apostles celebrated the Eucharist. And if she was present, she received the Eucharist. Mary, I believe, received the Eucharist from St. John, Peter. And the Eucharist fed in Mary the thirst of Christ. The more she received the Eucharist, the more the thirst of Christ took possession of her. And the desire for heaven progressively took possession of her until bit by bit to live on this earth for Mary become a terrible suffering because she was so much possessed by God her life became totally Eucharistic she had nothing else this was her whole life and this life overflowing into charity for her brothers and sisters and I believe that Mary, the Eucharist, gave her such longing for heaven that it was no longer possible for earth to hold her. The bonds of this earth broke and Christ took her to himself into full unity, soul and body, to be with him. So for us, our life, should become progressively more a life of desire, a desire for heaven, a desire to be with God. That's what the Eucharist should give us, this desire, so that in the end of our lives, our lives should become nothing but desire, a desire to be with God. And the last point, at the end of our lives, when we come before God, the greatest joy will be for us. The greatest glory will be the Eucharist that we've lived in love and that we have allowed to transform us into people of charity for our brothers and sisters. Each Eucharist that we receive worthily with a longing desire, loving desire, increases our glory in eternity. It will be at the last, at the end of our life, our greatest joy and if it would be possible to come back from heaven, 
but it won't be because we will be happy. Happy we can be. Much more than we can be. If we had a possibility to come back from heaven, we'll come back just to live the mystery of the Eucharist. My friends, we are not in heaven. When we receive the Eucharist, we have heaven within us. Live Holy Mass. Live the Eucharist. With this desire, this longing, in the way that Jesus wants us, in his excessive love for us, live it with Mary. At each Mass, there are many angels present. Many, many angels at each Mass. St. John Chrysostom tells us this. St. Bridget of Sweden, the many saints tell us that there's a great multitude of angels present at Holy Mass, surrounding the altar, adoring their God. And as St. Bridget of Sweden said, and we poor creatures are so absent-minded I'm going to stop because I am uh, have nothing else to say. Sometimes I should be silent. And for this mystery of the Eucharist, it's what takes first place is our silence. Father, Son of the Holy Spirit, we glorify you, Lord, for this mystery that we cannot understand but that you in your excessive love give to us. May we become little, the little children who long to be fed by your divine presence in the Eucharist. And that we in our turn will be ready to become with you in your love to become lambs given for our brothers and sisters and that we may with you in eternity we may share the glory that you the victorious one the lamb standing victorious that we may be with you and our mother after this short pilgrimage that was father anthony mary with the awesome mystery of the Eucharist. For more from the Immaculata Mission School, visit cradio.org.au.